We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. St. Louis chess grandmaster Fabiano Caruana didn't win the World Chess Championship in London this week, but he did his city proud by taking defending world champion Magnus Carlsen of Norway to a final tiebreaker round. Caruana had hoped to become the first American champion since Bobby Fischer beat Boris Spassky back in 1972. Among the St. Louisans watching the match move by move are our next guests. Retired financier Rex Singfield is the founder of the St. Louis Chess Club here. Grandmaster Yasser Sarawan is a former four-time U.S. chess champion and commentator for the St. Louis Chess Club's broadcasts of the World Championships. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you very much. My it, pleasure. It's been a very interesting couple of weeks, and exciting couple of weeks for the chess world, right? Oh, it's been actually almost a whole month, actually. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about this. There's nothing that we can think of, uh, maybe one exception, that sheds a light, an international, a worldwide light on St. Louis, like an event like this. Yeah. I mean, the Cardinals winning the World Series, that's very important for us in the United States, but nobody in Germany cares. Yeah. Right. But in this case, people from 200-plus countries watch this stuff. And what does that, re Rex, what does that really mean for, for chess in St. Louis and chess uh, nationally? Well, it, that's a very interesting and difficult question. We were reflecting on that. How do you measure the value yeah. of worldwide attention for such a great positive event on a city like St. Louis. I don't know how you measure it, but I do know thousands and thousands of people felt really good about their city and themselves that this was going on. And it does an awful lot for chess. I mean, America is, is a big potential uh, chess uh, playing public, you know, and we could be larger. We remember what it was like with the Fisher boom. The membership of the United States Chess Federation, I think, over a couple of years doubled. It was incredible. <laughs> Treble, quadrupled. In yeah. Fact, absolutely. Yeah. How, uh, how popular is Yasser? How popular is chess in this country? Well, chess does not have the cachet, for example, that it does have in Russia. Mm -hmm. If you think about the Russians, uh, they love their poetry, they love their ballet, they love their chess. If you think about America, we love our football, we love our <laughs> baseball, we love our basketball. And chess gets short shift. Uh, however, we've got a, a remarkable history of chess in this country. In fact, if you go back in time to 1886, when Rex was, was working out the rules... <laughs> St. Louis was host to the first official World Chess Championship that was played in three locations, New York City, St. Louis, and New Orleans. So the very first World Championship match ever in the history of the world took place here in St. Louis in 1886. And we do have this history, including Bobby Fischer, that makes us somehow we're on the outside looking in. If Caruana had won... Wow. What, what then, Rex? Oh, you know, Don, I've sat around the last few weeks saying to people that I don't know what this city is going to do. How are they going to react? They're not going to know how to react because they've never had anything like this. No event in the history of this city would be as big as some St. Louis and winning the World Chess Championship. Um, 
I don't know what would rival it. Maybe Charles Lindbergh, New York to Paris, would wow. rival it. Yeah. That, that, that I mean, was quite a reaction to that. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking about Jimi Hendrix. I'm from Seattle, Jimi Hendrix. We created Jimi Hendrix Museum because he was an extra- such an extraordinary musician. I think you'd have a Fabiana Caruana Museum, literally, uh, to uh, commemorate such an outstanding achievement. What a great victory. It you was would- that close. Rex, you're the biggest uh, uh, chess booster I know, certainly in the city of St. Louis. What got you interested in this? Is, is it a sport or a game? Uh, uh, yes, it is. <laughs> um, uh, I think, uh, and I agree with Gary Kasparov, chess is the most brutal sport there is. It is definitely a sport uh, as a competitive activity. Uh, I got interested as a young child. Before I learned to play, I'd see images of it in movies, and I'd say, that's just so fascinating. I want to learn how to play that. And eventually at age 13, I did. My Uncle Fred taught me, and I've always felt badly because I beat him the second game we played. Really. <laughs> you know, I've always felt that, uh, that you had to have a particular kind of brain to mm-hmm. excel at chess. I must confess, I've, I've played and I'm terrible at it. My brother played and he was brilliant at it. And I, Is there, do you think, a special kind of talent you have to have to play the yeah, game well? So. No, not for me. Not for me. I don't, I don't believe the intelligence factor, you need a particular type of mathematical mind, mm-hmm. for example. But no, I do believe you need a competitive personality. Some people just don't like to compete. They like to swim, but not necessarily to compete. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a great chess player, you have to have this high, high level of wanting to win. Well, you've uh, been doing it for a long, a long time now. <clears throat> um, how do you train? How do you get into shape for the, for the game or the sport or whatever? Uh, this is actually uh, what Fabiano managed to achieve, which was unbelievable. He actually out-prepared, out-trained the, the world champion Magnus Carlsen. And <clears throat> basically, we have databases of millions and millions of games, Don, that you reflect and you play over. Then we have what we call chess engines, a kind of form of AI where we compete against our silicon uh, brethren and <clears throat> hone our talent. How about physically? I mean, you're, you're sitting at a table for a long time, and that can be tiring, even Absolutely. exhausting. No question about it. Uh, a healthy mind requires a strong body. And if you look at the world's top grandmasters today, they take a, a serious attitude to their physical strength and prowess, and they, they train for endurance. They, they work out. What's ahead for Carl Warner Rex? Uh, well, I I think and hope that in two years he'll be playing for the world championship again. There is a qualifying tournament called the Candidates Tournament that's held four, five, six months before. He, as I understand, is automatically seated into that tournament because he was the challenger. And that um, that's eight players, and the winner of that will go on to challenge the world champion. And, of course, we have really some very big tournaments here in St. Louis throughout the year. We have the Singfield Cup, a name chosen by the staff, not me, (laughs) over my objections. I want to be clear about that. Uh, We have the uh, U.S. Championship, the Women's Championship, the Juniors. And then we have several other big international events. uh, Four times a year, Rex. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. That we, We bring in the top 10 players in the world frequently. So the top players in the world are in St. Louis two or three or four times a year. It's like a second home to them. By the way, I just wanted to interject there. I was on the committee to choose or name that baby, and Rex gave the committee uh, uh, clear instruction. 
I don't care what you call the tournament, just make sure that St. Louis is in the name. Mm. So we came back with the Sinkfield Cup, and it was the only time in my life that I've been cursed in Latin. I thought it was kind of a cool experience. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to the next one. (laughs) Did did you argue at all for the Sarawan Cup? Not even close. (laughs) (laughs) What goes on at the chess club? I mean, well, obviously, people are playing chess. All day. They're, they're playing chess. We have loads of lessons. We have 100 tournaments a year. We're in 140 schools. We're teaching thousands of children every week. Um, and we have uh, all of our lectures, which occur almost every night, by grandmasters. We have grandmasters every day. Uh, and the city of St. Louis has a large number of grandmasters. St. Louis University has a scholarship-based team, as does Webster, as does Lindenwood, and starting next year, as will the University of Missouri. Uh, I think that you think the total number of grandmasters, especially when there's a big event going on here, it's possible, I don't know for sure, it's possible that we have more grandmasters in St. Louis at that time than does even Moscow. What, what what determines uh, when a grandmastership is awarded? <laughs> oh, that's a pretty simple thing. The idea is to become a grandmaster, you're going to have to play a requisite number of games. Let's just say 50 games mm-hmm. against other grandmasters, and they can't just be your friends, okay, or national. Uh, you got to play foreign grandmaster, and you've got to score at least 50%. That's the simplest way to look at it. you got to play against the best, and you got to score 50% or higher. Right. I wanted to talk to you about your play-by-play. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> because, broadcast, for yeah, sure. I mean, a lot of people who, who didn't watch would wonder what the commentator, the, the, the broadcaster in your case, uh, yeah. has to talk about. There are a lot exactly. of, there's a lot of downtime in a game. No question about it. And these guys are playing what we call classical chess. The games last five hours, six hours mm-hmm. done. So there's a lot of downtime. Now, when you think about the chess game and two top grandmasters playing, and you're just a lay person, you've got the obvious question. What's he going to do? Mm-hmm. What's his choice? Why is he thinking about that and not that? And shouldn't he take the bishop? Mm -hmm. So we are literally trying to anticipate the audience questions and where the audience eyes may be wandering. Oh, my goodness, Don, look over there. Mm -hmm. Seriously, that guy's king. It's in trouble. Mm -hmm. It's going to have to run. Now, once you've made that association, and I say to you, yeah, but you you can sprint and you can sprint and get away. Well, now you got to say, well, 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 show me how that works. And that's what broadcasting and commentary is all about. It's anticipating what you, the audience, might be asking. What does the novice in the audience get out of this? I mean, is it is it easy to understand? Oh, you're going to have to ask Rex. All right, Rex. <laughs> no, this, this is a very good question because um, we've talked to, to the commentators a lot, and I will say I think they are the best commentary team in any sport in the world. And I just ask anyone, go watch the commentary, then watch anything you want. ESPN, I don't care. If you watch other chess commentary teams around the world, it's not even close, in my opinion. I have a lot of respect for the other ones, but these three people are just uh, incredible. But it enables the club player, the average tournament player, to really understand what's going on. They can't sit there and conceive of all the possibilities. But these three grandmasters, and to be fair, they are armed with the best chess playing engines in the world, supporting them, suggesting lines of play. Mm -hmm. And they will sometimes use that as the basis for choosing lines to analyze uh, for the audience. And because these are long games, it's 
it's not too difficult for the average club player, with the help of good commentary, to really understand what's going on. On their own, it would be pretty difficult. And they really get into it. Uh, pardon me for jumping in here, Don. Um, in Norway, Magnus Carlsen is a national hero. I mean, seriously, he's a very, very big figure for a country that produces world-class skiers and skaters. It's amazing that there's a chess player. Anyway, uh, Sisse, it's a super, super, super computer, is devoted to the games of Magnus Carlsen. Mm. So you can go online and you can see the supercomputer from Norway following Magnus each and every move. And it's really cool as a chess cognoscente guy to go and see what that supercomputer is evaluating, okay? And during this world championship match, there was a moment, it was unbelievable. We thought Fabiana was winning <clears throat> but none of our commentary team saw the win. Sisse announced, I believe, a checkmate in 36 moves. <laughs> and it was, it was phenomenal. Um, Fabiano didn't play it. And the joke we had was that if Fabiano had found that move that the supercomputer did, mm -hmm. they'd still be scanning him for microchips in his yeah. body. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, do you have any idea how many people were watching, Rex? I think it's in the millions. We have estimates from each broadcast, and those numbers are appallingly low, and it, it just doesn't pass mm -hmm. the smell test. We know, for example, in Norway, there were two TV stations that covered every game all day on TV. And they had be almost a million viewers in a country of five, six million people. Precisely. So that's just one country. Mm -hmm. And we know that we get viewership from over 200 countries around the world. And we know what we get for the U.S. championships and the Singfield Cup. And those cumulatively are in the many, many millions. And so I think this, as a world championship match, had to be much higher than that. Mm -hmm. But the numbers we're getting through the Google Analytics and stuff like that, just don't square up. So I think we're going to take some more time to figure out how big it was. But it was fairly huge. I had some, a restaurateur from Clayton bump into me that morning. He said, you know, everybody out in the county is talking about this guy Fabiano. And I said, as it should be. <laughs> <laughs> have, have either of you talked to him? Since, uh, oh, since? Last, uh, yesterday, um, Fabiano returned from London, mm -hmm. and uh, the whole staff of the Chess Club and the World Chess Hall of Fame, we all got into this huge van. There was well over two dozen, three dozen of us, and we met him at the airport. Mm -hmm. And we picked him up, and we embraced him in a big banner, and he was all kind of like teary-eyed because... He really wanted to bring back the title, but he made us proud. We were very, very honored. How disappointed did he seem that he didn't bring back the title? Well, I was the guy. I'm devastated. So I can only tell you that I think uh, Fabi is really missing. Yeah. Yeah. I think the analogy really appropriate for St. Louis is because we're spoiled here is when the Cardinals make it to the World Series, everybody yeah. wants them to win the pennant. That's the first. you got to win the pennant. Right. Winning the pennant these days is as hard as winning the World Series back in the 50s, 60s, 70s because there was only 16 teams. Now there's 32. Mm -hmm. So it's much more difficult. Well, when you win the pennant, you sort of really, you know, accomplish something. Now, naturally, you'd like to get win the icing and win the, the World Series, but sometimes you don't. But when that happens, 
St. Louisans don't think that the season was a bust or a waste. They're still very happy at the Cardinals' achievement. I think this is a bit analogous to us. He got to the World Series, and it's much more difficult to do that in chess than it is in baseball because he's competing against scores and scores of top grandmasters, and not just 32 of them. There's many more than that. Um, But it would be wonderful to win the World Championship. It's a very difficult thing to do. And there are questions about how the world championship is formulated, and maybe that will change over time, mixing classical games with fast games. Some of us are not particularly wild about that, Yasser and myself <laughs> included. included. Yeah. yeah, that's something, again, for the novice looking at that, wondering right. you know, how that I- evolved and why, why it's done that way and why there were so many ties in the game of chess. Right. Well, first of all, the game of chess, if you go back to 1886, the crazy part is that in those days, almost all the games were decisive. There was only mm-hmm. one game in the whole series that ended in a draw. Today, the grandmasters, they're so accurate with their move. Like, it to take a take a grandmaster and get an advantage against him is one thing. To drag him to his doom is another. And in the 12-game series, um, they it was the first time in history that all the games were drawn. Now, if you go back to 72, and I was a child of 1972 yeah, yeah. or Spassky yeah, yeah, Bobby yeah. Fischer, yeah. The, the, that match was a 24-game match, and mm-hmm. it featured a lot of decisive games. So first of all, the match itself has been shortened way drastically, cut in half. It's not like... You know, today's grandmasters are snowflakes, you know, they can endure a longer match. But the the rules, as, as uh, Rex has mentioned, you know, they changed the format, they reduced it to 12, and then they said, well, you know what, if the match is still tied after 12, let them sprint, let them play this tiebreaker that is really fast. And to purists like ourselves, we sit there and go, well, aren't you combining different disciplines for this world championship title so we're not all happy about it but that's the decision of the world chess federation the fide we call them and they govern the game of chess who comprises the world chess federation well it's a a delegate is elected from each country and they meet and have a a worldwide congress and they elect a president and other officers and that election occurs every four years. So it was just an election, and there's a new president in. So we'll see what happens. There's a whole new slate of top officers, and we'll see if things change. There's a lot of changes that must be made. The prior guy, uh, Kirsan Ilyazumov, you know, said that he was uh, abducted by aliens. <laughs> and I happen to know that that's false because I was abducted by aliens, and I didn't see him around that day at all. He wasn't so, on the ship. That's right. He wasn't right. on the ship at all. Yeah. So, and Kirsan is... Uh, well, he's banned from coming into the United States. Uh, Fide's uh, checking accounts have been frozen by the Swiss authorities. He's under possible indictment by the United States for uh, laundering money for ISIS right. and al-Qaeda. So he's a bit of a checkered character, to say the least, and we're glad he's gone. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy world. Let me just put it like that. And the world of chess, like the United Nations, think of the United Nations. We have 186 member countries of the FIDE, uh, French acronym Federation International des Echecs, missing the Security Council. So uh, FIDE is the third largest sporting body in the world. Think of the IOC, the International Olympic mm-hmm. Committee, the UN and I. FIFA, the football Mm -hmm. world, and FIDE is the third largest federation in the world, and it's all kind of messed up, just as Rex has been describing it with one 
delegate per country, which means that the U.S. has the same political power as literally Trinidad and Tobago, mm -hmm. just to pick any country in the world. And we're one of the biggest federations in the world, but we don't we don't have control. We don't right. have the power. No, it's one country, one vote. It's an idiotic system. I don't know how they're going to get out of it because it is one country, one vote. <laughs> how are you going to get those little countries to vote themselves out of power? It's, it's like the U.S. Senate where you have uh, uh, two senators from the smallest state right. and two senators from the largest state. Same, same kind of thing. Yeah, But again, uh, with the U.N., you do have a security council which really does buffer mm -hmm. this one nation, one right. vote of the United Nations. But in the chess world, you know, we really were hoping that Fabiano would win and turn chess into much more of a commercially based sport where it's based on merit and marketing and dollars and cents so you don't have a lot of the political garbage that goes on in the FIDE. Yeah. Who is, represents the U.S. on the, on, on the board? Michael Kartakovsky, yeah. he's, he's, he runs the Kasparov Chess Foundation, uh -huh. with whom we work very closely, the St. Louis mm -hmm. Chess Club does, and we do a lot of stuff for children, uh, and he does a lot around the world, and we do a lot here in St. Louis in, and in Missouri. In a perfect world, what changes would you make? Aside from the speed rounds, I gather that's Well, I would you're... eliminate all of the fast chess games yeah. as tie breaks for the classical chess tournament. Right. I would increase the chess tournament to maybe 18 or 24 games. And now here's where my friends just rebel. And, <laughs> and you may, there may be a violent outburst here. <laughs> so, but I would um, – and, and I have one person who agreed with me on this, or I agreed with him, and that was Bobby Fischer. I believe you should have a match where – if it's tied after a certain point, that is recognized and acknowledged as a tied match, period. The champion retains his title, but the match is considered drawn, and the players will split the money evenly. Mm -hmm. Now, and I've argued we should do that in other sports. Like in baseball, the way you do that is you have an eight-game World Series or a ten-game World mm -hmm. Series, and you have to win by two. And if you don't, then it's a tied World Series. Well, there would be a rebellion in this country if they tried to follow, implement such a brilliant idea as that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the problems, truly, is you, you do go to these artificial, like, you know, shootouts in, in soccer, mm -hmm. you know, which, you know, really spoil what has right. been, you know, 90 minutes of fantastic, mm -hmm. beautiful play. Suddenly, whoever <clears throat> hits the, the penalty shot... It decides who's the better team. Kind of weird when you think about it. No. You know, you, you seemed like a very outgoing guy. We've not met before. But Thank I you, often get the impression that some of the, the best chess players in, in history were solitary figures, uh, people who were not as outgoing as, as you appear to be. Is that an observation that's just off the mark or, or not? Uh, frankly, yes, it is. I, 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 I'm really sad, in fact, that, uh, that the chess world gets this uh, kind of black eye uh, just because of the Kherson Ilium Zhinovs right. of the right. world where That's you right. have these really uh, weird, outlandish figures. And the truth of the matter is, go interview Fabiana Kariwana. Go interview Magnus Carlsen. Mm -hmm. 
And for example, in Magnus's case, I mean, he speaks many languages fluently. Mm-hmm. He's a sportsman. He loves LeBron James. <laughs> I mean, he's on the social media. He does modeling. Let me interject. He does when he comes to the St. Louis for the Singfield Cup every year on his own. Magnus does. Now, Magnus. Magnus mm-hmm. does. And now that I know this, I'll help him in the future, is he goes to Cardinal games. He buys tickets. He goes online, buys tickets, and goes to the Cardinal game. Mm-hmm. I said, my God, I have season tickets, the best seats in the house. <laughs> I'd give them to them. Right. So so this is – so I'm just saying we're talking number one and number two in the world. Mm-hmm. Fabiana Caruana is the number two player out of the tens and tens of millions who play chess. He's the second highest rated guy in the world. And I'm telling you, Don, uh, put Fabiano in the seat that I'm sitting in right now. Mm-hmm. You have a ca- conversation with him. You say, I want – I want you to meet my daughter. <laughs> He's or, that nice a guy. I mean, or, he really is. Or you go to the internet and watch the interviews, which you can see right on the internet exactly. between Dick yeah. Cavett and Bobby Fischer. And you will find out, yeah, in some ways he was a solitary figure. But when talking to someone, he's incredibly cordial, outgoing, and funny. Right. And, and there's several of them with Dick Cavett. Yeah. And Johnny Carson, too. Johnny Carson interviews, too. That's maybe where I got that impression with Bobby Fischer because right. there was a lot of publicity about him being kind of withdrawn. Exactly. But, exactly. Yeah. You said. And the, and the press, frankly, had a field day with it because mm-hmm. Bobby wasn't answering any of their lobs. I mean, uh, Bobby had his feelings withdrawn because he was getting radio signals and all the rest. Uh, but it, unfortunately, it, it, it's a black eye. It's an image that we don't deserve. And come to the Sinkville Cup, by the way. Every year in August here in St. Louis, we have one of the greatest tournaments in the world, the top 10 players of the world done it's a it's a big deal any uh, up-and-comers in the st louis scene rex that uh, might be looking for uh, the the uh, kind of competition we've been talking about yeah some oh my gosh, young grandmasters in st louis and who come to st louis right. frequently because we host so many tournaments for them creating opportunities for them across the board seriously uh don it's not a joke from all age levels from six i'm i'm thinking from six to eighteen We've had families, Akshat Chandra, for example, top grandmaster, junior prospect, he and his entire family just moved to St. Louis for the opportunity of training at the club with the grandmasters and residents. And also, he got a scholarship to go to uh, SLU University. Mm-hmm. And we have young kids, they come into the, the club. I tell you, they walk around like they own the joint, yeah. and they're trying to. Fabiano moved. Fabiano doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> what, what, what advice do you, would you have for parents who might want to get their kids interested in chess and, and in terms of learning how to play the game? Well, right? I would encourage them to do it. It has, right. we think, enormous cognitive benefits. And in mm-hmm. fact, we are doing a lot of. Uh, uh, studies on that. We have top economists looking and doing longitudinal studies on that, just as we have, by way of digression, a big grant that we've given to the St. Louis University Medical School to research the effects of chess and its efficacy in forestalling dementia or Alzheimer's. And that's oh. a big study taking place, and they're very encouraged by the results. But kids should come to the club. They have clubs at all the schools. They should learn. It is enormously beneficial. You know, it's the only activity from kindergarten through grad school that relies 100% on pure logic. No other course or activity in school is that way. And so it's of enormous benefit to them. And it's fun. 
Why, uh, why Russia being kind of the center of the universe for chess? The czars proclaimed it that right. way. It's long certainly. before the Soviets. Really? Oh, well, yeah. yeah. What, what happened? Well, that's, in fact, uh, where we get the title grandmaster from itself. Uh, the czar, uh, Nicholas, I believe, was the one who first awarded it to the first grandmaster, and he said something to the effect that you, sir, are a grand. Master. Uh-huh. And there we go. And then when the Soviet Union came along, essentially the Communist Party said, look, we just wiped out the whole intelligentsia class. We've got this peasant class. Now we've got to make them smart. What are we going to do? And so it became a part of the Communist Party ideology to become the world's best in chess. And they've spent billions of rubles each and every year on their Soviet chess sportsmen. Mm-hmm. And when Boris Spassky played Bobby Fischer, you got to understand that Boris Spassky was representing the Soviet state. It wasn't just Boris Spassky, but the whole country. He, he had gotten the support of the state, and he represented the apex of a multi-multi-billion ruble empire that stre- stretched back decades. So it was always a part of the Soviet ideology, Don. You know, you hear from time to time, I don't want to get political sure. here and our time is winding down. Sure. But uh, you hear from time to time that the Russians, formerly the Soviets as well, uh, are playing chess on the international diplomatic scene, the international scene in general, and maybe even that's why they're, they're pretty good at some of the things <laughs> that are going on even today. Would you buy into well, that? They're, yeah, they're, they're pretty smart people. I think Vladimir Putin is is trying to play chess with the West, and I think he's going to get I mean. stomped on. Uh, <laughs> well, he, he's, you know, Russia is not what the Soviet Union was. It's a much smaller country. Uh, they depend critically on oil. If you're a one commodity country, you're always vulnerable to the vicissitudes of the market. And um, so he has to be careful. And I think, you know, they had an opportunity to become a full blown capitalist, honest country, right, with the mm-hmm. fall of the Soviet Union. And I think they've blown it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, the point is that in, in chess, you have to be thinking a move or two or more ahead. Absolutely. And maybe, maybe some cultures are better than that at that than others. Right. Well, That's again, right. just like you're saying, the training that the Russians and in the, in the school, because uh, Rex was, was going that direction there with uh, kids and parents. So in Russia, and especially the Eastern European bloc, you think of the Warsaw nations, they had a very big uh, push. Their ideology was towards chess. So, um, like, for example, today, a parent in in America, um, Daddy, Daddy, I want to learn to play the piano. Oh, wonderful. That's great. Daddy, Daddy, I want to learn to play chess. Well, you sure don't want to learn to play the piano. Whereas in (laughs) other countries, it was like, yeah, go ahead. Let's teach you chess. And I just wanted to say this, and I think because you asked a question, Don, about parents, I think parents should use chess as a treat, as a treat, Mm -hmm. not as a a chore, but if you do good on your homework, you get to play chess, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Because a lot of kids, when they play chess, they get emotionally gripped by the game, right? And they really soar when they win, but they really crash when they lose. And you got to help them get up. Yeah. Well, it's been fascinating talking to you two gentlemen about the game of chess. I find it particularly interesting, Rex, that um, that uh, this issue of the cognitive development of the brain 
and and how that can be used in research on uh, Alzheimer's, for instance. Yes, yeah. you should come by the club. You know, we have lessons all the time. Thursday night is ladies' night, and alcohol's involved. <laughs> <laughs> Wine well, and cheese. Uh, <laughs> what does it take to become a member of the of the club? Just walk in there and say, "I'd like to be a member," and and pay a hundred dollars for a year, and you're good as gold. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I'm told to look on my screen here to see some we'll comments, but there's nothing there. So. Okay. We'll anyway. even sponsor you if, uh, if economic circumstances are needed. Okay. Well, gentlemen, thank you again for being thank with us. We'll see you at that club one of these days. Yeah, it's, it's something I should pleasure. learn how to, at this stage of my life, something I should learn how to play, I think. Never too my, old. My <laughs> Rex Singfield, thank you so much for being with us. Sarah Juan, pleasure to meet you. Congratulations on your good work uh, during the recent tournament. Thank you, Sarah. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.